A man become preeminent, he's expected to have enthusiasms. 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 What am I? What draws my admiration? What is that which gives me joy? Baseball. <laughs> Podcast. This is Rob B, the Deadpool Hitter. You can always catch me on Twitter at Deadpool Hitter and the Pull Hitter Pod at Pull Hitter Pod. And make sure you come check out my Patreon if you haven't yet for five bucks a month. Get you in the door and you get at least seven pods per week from me. I'm doing daily notes reviewing the box scores and the news from the previous days. And it usually includes about three or four dives into a specific player. Uh, I'm trying to analyze trends and... Um, early season production and whatnot, and I'm usually covering some under-the-radar guys, not the Mike Trout of the world um, that we're always going to hear about and see on TV and all that fun stuff. So, um, yeah, just also doing some lineup-setting pods, and that's for the first tier. You can get in the door and get all that, and then for the upper tiers, um, you get a two-star pitching pod review that I do with Matt Modica and a fab pod review and article that I write. Every Sunday to help you with your fab in the main events and uh, 12-team online championship. So, um, five bucks, get you in door. If you want to just come check it out for a month, I, I don't think you'll be let down. And the Discord is bumping with 200 people actively talking about fantasy baseball and discussions. And um, it's really fascinating. I think you'll enjoy. And just the Discord itself, I think, is worth the five bucks just to get involved and um, really bright people in there we're all sharing ideas and thoughts and start sit advice and fab advice um if you pay for the fab tier you get the fab column and you also get a fab channel in the discord where uh, i give some fab advice and um everyone else is chiming in too that has access to that channel so it's really fun i'm really loving it i thank everyone who's shown up and given me the support and supported my work and my content. Really appreciate you and uh, appreciate everyone else who's always followed me and listened to the work. And um, I think you'll enjoy it. Um, and so, yeah, today's episode is with Mr. Toby Batflip Crazy, good friend of mine, fantastic fantasy baseball player, fantastic analyst. We go through a couple of things. We talk about a decision to sit out some of the early draft champion seasons, as he's done in previous years. He's been early involved early in drafts in November, December, and you know, staying in a draft champion, slow draft mode, and kind of waiting until March to get involved this year and prepping for his big leagues in Las Vegas. And then we talk about some of the, the live events in Las Vegas, including the dynamics of an auction draft and some of the, you know, um, little mind games that we play against ourselves when it comes to the auction and what we have to look out for and whether or not we executed um, our plans in the off season into our live drafts and for the NFBC. And um, we talk about a whole bunch more. It's a great conversation, and uh, I think you'll enjoy it. So here we go. Welcome back to the Pole Hitter Podcast. I'm Rob D, the Dead Pole Hitter, coming at you with a fantastic ad to the week. 
ending the week off with Mr. Toby Batflip Crazy. What's up, buddy? How you doing tonight? I'm doing well, Rob. Uh, you know, it's a it's a Friday night and we're talking some fantasy baseball here, so I, I can't complain at all. Absolutely, man. Um, we had a blast in Las Vegas. So cool meeting everyone. Um, and I really had a like so much fun just being able to watch everyone do their thing in the draft room. And um, it's a cool little experience, you know, like you can go do other things. You can go hang out in your room or go check out the strip. But it's like, nah, my friends are here drafting and it's cool. Like even if you could just sit there and like scroll through the news and just make sure no one get screwed and you're like whispering oh Tristan McKenzie's like oh <laughs> you know you like whispering stuff but um I think my experience was awesome and uh I think we had a blast down there man I just like would love to like just draft more teams live you know like all the totally. DCs that we do all season long just do them all live it's so much fun oh um, god auction every day like that that's just it's it's the best i yeah it was a blast i mean i can't believe like we hadn't met each other in person before it was all you know we've all been discord and and yep. twitter and stuff and i got my robin ventura jersey which i had totally forgot that you had said you were going to bring that so I'm just wondering, I get a jersey every time I'm on the podcast, right? Is that yes. is that how it works out? Yeah, that's the rule. That's the rule. Um, I just have to fucking magically throw out another guy that you were like, oh my God, it was my favorite player and like my favorite jersey. I'm like, I actually have it and it doesn't fit me. <laughs> I'm bringing it down. Oh, I, it's and it was so jersey. cool. Like I had it like by the computer where... Um, I podcast and when I was, you know, packing stuff for Vegas and I had my little um, bag with my computer stuff and it just caught my eye. I'm like, oh, yes, this is coming with me. And 100 percent is uh, and you rocked it fucking flawlessly. I would have to say that. Yeah. 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 And it's my it's my new auctioning uh, auctioning jersey, you know. Yeah, so, so long as not, as nobody brings a Nolan Ryan uh, oh, jersey yeah, to the no. uh, to the thing, that would be that'd be rough. That would be rough. Yeah. So talk to me about the auction leagues. I mean, um, there's no better experience, I think, than drafting live in an auction league, right? Oh, absolutely not. I mean, it's just such an enjoyable thing. Like you have to be locked in for that whole time. And it's just so fascinating because it's like emotionally, it's, it's, uh, it's just, it's a trip, you know, because it's like you're in there. And people are bidding and you've got your values and you're, and you're trying to read the room and figure out, you know, are our hitters going higher than they usually do? Are pitchers going higher than they usually do? You're trying to adapt and figure out where you're willing to be flexible and when you're not. And then there's kind of that, that point when you're like, especially when you, when you auction, like I do, where you're like, oh man, I don't have a lot of guys yet, you know? And you're kind <laughs> of like, what's the balance here? And really like a lot of, so much of it is driven by fear. You know, it's like, I'm afraid of being left with these guys, or I'm afraid of being too tight, you know, or I'm afraid of this, but there's this moment, which, you know, like you think it's going super well, you never know, like, right. But like, you never know where, like where the, where the draft room shifts, you know, I remember there was this one instance where we went on break and we came back and I was really fortunate to be auctioning with, uh, with, with, with Brian Slack. He, he was, um, next to me for, for all of the auctions that I did. And there was this moment when we came back and I think Louis Robert got thrown out and everybody to that point had been going so much higher. And, and he just went like a couple dollars lower. And like, you could just tell that people had been at the break and been like, okay, I got to tighten it up a little bit. Right. And so that's when you can kind of like, 
you start to get it. So that's when it was like $15, uh, Ryan Reynolds, $16, uh, Tyler O'Neill, you know, like the, the, um, Glaber Torres for 12, like, you know, not, not like anything massive. Right. But just like those two, $3 guys that you feel really good about, like as players, you know, it's one thing to be like, Oh, I got my $3 guy. Who's supposed to be a $6 guy. And it's like, well, but he's kind of mediocre. But like when you get that guy that you, that you actually think is a really good player and you get a deal on it, it feels really nice. So I, I really enjoyed it. Each draft room is so different. And I think these are, this was just my second year doing auctions. So it was just really fun to kind of feel like I'm making progress in that. I have a long way to go, but it's really nice. Yeah. It was fun. It was a blast. I think, yeah, I think you nailed it. Like, um, I felt small growths in my live auctions. Um, first time doing it myself. I did a proxy for Phil a couple of years ago and basically I was mostly like, just, just make sure zoom stays locked in and then I could hear, you know, and he, and he could hear, I wasn't paying attention to everything. I mean, Jason DuPont and Mark, Rebo, they, they have their antics during the draft. So, you know, that's the, other things you have to pay, t- uh, you know, I was like, just block it out. Like I just got to focus on. And like, I didn't even know Phil as much as I do now. Bit, like I was so nervous during that thing too. I was like just terrified that I, I think I immediately had a beer after the draft because I was, like, <laughs> this, this is so nerve wracking. But um, I was lucky to sit in with Steve Weimer during his New York draft in the morning. And then I had mine right after that. And I sat there and I logged in all the, all the prices of all the players, you know, that were going in his draft um, just to get a sense and just to like, not just hear it and and see it, but like log it in, write it down. And my little scratch pad, uh, like notable guys that I wanted to like, you know, really, really attack. So it's just writing down for me. I write something down. I remember it so much better. And so when it came to my draft, it was interesting. Like I knew the price point. So I was like, I had that already banked in, but then it's those decision points. Like you're saying, you, you, you're like, wow, like Gleyber Torres came out fourth overall in my auction and in Steve's, he was like the 90th player thrown out. And he was like $12 then because it was like, like you said, at that point where, okay, like some people like I really spent too much. And then I had just gotten Otani, you know, for, big bucks you know, 35 or 36 bucks and um labor comes out two players later and i it was one of my biggest targets and it's one of those things where in your head you just don't know it's like am i doing this too quick should i be waiting <laughs> you know you have this stupid voice that crawls in and it really doesn't matter you just gotta do it like gotta get your guys and i think that's one thing i really learned from watching phil do so draft was that um there's a point right where i get to like 50 40 bucks and i look across and i see everyone else's values and i'm like okay like i gotta be smart here you know really calculated maybe i should wait and just pounce and phil just keeps his foot on the gas you know he'll go and like he i guess he just feels way more comfortable than i do at a certain point of just going dollar two dollars or whatever um but he just keeps his foot on the gas even when he doesn't have as much that I would feel comfortable with. So that was some of the things I was picking up, like watching other people draft. Cause it's, um, it, it's all a learning process. So just trying to, and there's so much to pick up. The auctions are so long. Like you said, it's a fucking mental drain. You have to be really locked in. You have to drink water, <laughs> like make sure you eat, you know, like those things are important. Like you can't let those things go 
Like, uh, because you just crash and all of a sudden you're in the reserve route and you're like, you don't even know who's available. Yeah. <laughs> you know? No, yeah. It's, it, it is, uh, it's enjoyable. I mean, I think that's one thing that you just mentioned that was definitely a takeaway for me where I feel like I'm somebody who like, I have my values and I'm kind of sticking with them because I, I put a lot of time in determining what those might be. And, um, you know, and, and, but I do think that there's something to be said for having that flexibility and that willingness with guys that you feel really confident in where it's like, where you're like, you know, you're plugging your projections in and you're trusting the projections, but there's some guys where you're just like, I don't think the projection is, is what this guy is going to do. And I think you need to be willing to be like, okay, you know, I, I'm going to, I'm going to move away from the projection a little bit here. Right. Like, to be like, yeah, if it's Glaber that you love and you're like, Glaber's projection is 264, you know, 22 home runs and 12 steals. And you're like, I think this guy's going to steal more bases or I think 264 is low, recognizing what that does to the value of that guy and moving moving away from your values a little bit. Especially if it's like a profile that isn't, isn't as common or, it, you know, like a guy like Glaber where he's kind of contributing across the board so there's a little bit of built-in um, protection there in some ways, right? Where it's like, because of the, the profile that he has, there's less of a floor and there's different ways that he can help you out, you know, yep. as, as a player. So 100%. And like, uh, like you said, that second break is actually, um, it's really huge. I, in my first auction in New York, um, Steve, Steve Wyman was hanging out with me um, and I think I got the first three guys that came out after the second break. I was just ready. You know, like I had, I had my plan. And, and like you said, everyone is set out to say, you know, I have money I'm going to spend, or I, I need to pump a breaks. And he looked at me and gave me a look like, well, you're okay. You're going to keep going. I'm like, I'm, I'm locked in right now. I had like, yeah. it just fell into place. And, oh uh, yeah, it was one of those moments, like I said, where I felt, felt proud about myself was like i i felt like i i, I made a 10 minute decision like this is what i want to do these are the players i want to go with and went right in there and didn't even care if it was three players in a row four players in a row and it's just it felt good it felt good and like also i think my other big moment too is um in probably like waiting um and being patient with my strategy of like, okay, I want like, I wanted one outfielder that was probably 10, 15 bucks, like Tyler O'Neill, Brian Reynolds. And then I just wanted to get all dollar guys. And every time it was, I was tempted to do that three or $4 outfielder. I just remembered my brain telling me like, there's so many times I regret just going that extra dollar or two for the, you know, for mm. what you planned out for. And um, I stuck to it. And, um, you know, it, I don't know if it's going to work out or not, but just execution wise, I think it's, it's, uh, like if I would give myself a report card on that, it was, it was pretty good. I, you know, but there, there's also moments too, where you, uh, I found myself like thinking I was ultimately prepared in every single angle. And then there may be a moment where you're like, man, maybe I didn't write down enough guides for this late, like late game power, like late and like mm -hmm. eight late power late speed or whatever so um in in the first auction i didn't do that as as good i thought i had a deep enough list but i really didn't so in the second draft i made sure just to have like um a deeper list when it came down to that one dollar 
guy, you know. And then actually the second time around, I had I wrote down too many guys. It was like, which one do I want here? Uh, so it's all, yeah, it's all a mental game. Yeah, it, it's really interesting. Like I think you know, I did my first auction last year, and and I went into it and I was like, these are my guys. These are the guys I want to get. It's an auction. I can do this, right? And I think the challenge with that mentality is other people like the same players, right? So it's like, mm -hmm. so suddenly your guy who you're like, oh, the values, the AAVs as this guy's gone in different places, you know, are, are different or it's a standalone league. So the starting pitchers are going to get bumped up, you know, all of these like different factors, which until you kind of get into an auction, you don't necessarily realize, and you need to be able to adapt to like, when you get into them, you know, we still ended up doing pretty well, but um, but it was just like a very different experience. And so this one time I was trying to be prepared, but I think the biggest struggle that I have is like, you know, where there are, there are certain groups of guys, like, let's say it's your corner infielders or something like that. And one gets thrown out there and looks like a value. And maybe he's not your number one guy on your list. Right. But he's number two or number three. And you don't want to get to a point where you just have that one guy left. Right. Yes. You know, cause yeah. that's when you, that's when you get screwed. Um, you know, that happened to us, like, uh, I think in the first auction where it was like, we had gotten one, uh, really good pitcher already, theoretically really good pitcher, Aaron Nola. Right. And then there was only one more kind of elite, what we considered to be elite starting tier of like Zach Wheeler. And we were like, oh shit, if he goes up to 30 bucks, like we're, we're going there. Right. Like, because that's, that's what's, what's going on here. And it was like, that's the position you don't do not want to be in. Right. Yeah. Like you do not want to be in that position where you have one guy that fits the need that you have. And so kind of like, like that tightrope of like, do I go after this guy? Who's, who's a deal, um, you know, who I like, who's fine, but, but I'm not going to necessarily get the guy I love. Like, you know, like we, we really wanted to get Ryan Mountcastle in our last draft because we hadn't gotten him. So we ended up getting him for uh, 10 bucks, I think, or something like that, which obviously so far this year has been an absolute steal, but you know, two, two players later, it's like Miguel Vargas, you know, and I'm locked out because Mountcastle was my util, you know, like we had a really nice CI and first baseman already too. So it's just like, and you're locked out in the auction there. Right. So I'm sitting there and he went, I think he either went for $6 or $8 or something yeah. like, like that. And you can't do it anything. Right. You're just can't like, Oh, like timeout rewind. Like let's, <laughs> let's go back and do this. Well, I mean, it's worked out like, right. It's worked out really well so far, but um, it's just stuff like that where, you know, it's just part of, part of the, part of the fun of it, part of the enjoyment. Definitely part of the enjoyment. I, um, there was one point I remember where I think the, what gets to me is like I said, like when you know there's a player out there that might go for more money, I think the two players was um, Robbie Ray and Blake Snell. And actually in hindsight, you know, like whatever, Robbie Ray got hurt, but, um, and it was in my first auction and Blake, uh, Robbie Ray was still out there and he was like the best pitcher left, best AAV, like highest AAV left. Blake, I think uh, Blake Snell and it was also, um, two other guys in their range. I forget who exactly, but Snell was out and I really wanted Ray at the time. And Snell was at like 14, 15 bucks. And I'm like, well, I'm going to get him. But then I'm like in the back of my head, like, ah, oh, like 
Like, what if Ray goes for more, right? What if someone's waiting for Ray? That's the thing, right? There's always someone who might be waiting on that guy. And so you have to make that decision in your head. It's like, all right, well, do I take this or do I wait for Ray? But then if he goes to 24, do I want him? Because I really only want him for 21, 22, you know? I don't really want him that bad because I, I don't mind having Snell. So it's, again, as many times as you practice those scenarios in your head and how many times you write it down or put it into your spreadsheet, when it comes to the moment, your your heart's still pounding. Like, like what do like what do I really want to do? You know, it's it's tough. Yeah. It's a tough decision point. And you don't have time, right? I mean, it's like you don't have time going once, going twice. Like, there, that's what you got. You know, yep. to make those types of uh, split second decisions. Well, if it makes you feel any better, I did get Ray for twenty four dollars uh, in oh, my last auction. So, <laughs> oh man, it's okay. I mean, I. If, that's yeah. probably what your second or third pitcher, third SB. He was my his third. Yeah, we third. got. Uh, yeah, it was sure we got Scherzer and and Bieber before okay. then. Okay. So yeah, yeah. so it was it, it was all right, but it just felt like a really nice uh, a nice nice little strikeout addition with Bieber. You know, locking in those ratios and oh well. I had Best the main, laid plans, right? Yeah, no, right. I, I I got him in my first main. I had the wheel pick, 15, 16. This was the Thursday night, you know, Vegas main, the first mains in Vegas. And I was so amped up to do it, man. I was so laser focused. I was like, here we go. Just give me one of Cole Strider, you know. and That's like, your like, Cole Strider team. Oh, God. And then it landed. I'm like watching the picks come to me, and I'm like, like if I just get both of them, that'll just be really cool. And I think I remember, like, talking to you guys in a discord like should i just get freeman too like instead like one pitcher and freeman like no way like what you talked about getting both of them and they just landed so and that was like a team i got ray in so it doesn't hurt me as bad like i think that's what you've mm. always preached about the pocket aces thing it's like you know it just helps when one guy goes down or you're you know so in this case robbie ray was i'm expecting a lot from but to have cole and strider it's a kind of you know um softened it a little bit i guess you know um but yeah those so, are the two guys i wish i had more of you know i've got one cole in a big league um and i, I have zero strider you know so i i wish i was there with you this is a perfect segue into my question to you about you know not getting into dcs early in the season because i think um I was looking at some of my drafts i was entering my teams into my like master spreadsheet at the Vegas draft. And um, I, I showed you a team that I drafted, I think in December, where I got like Strider at 38 and Scherzer at 53. And you were like, fuck, I should have drafted earlier. <laughs> uh, but tell me about that whole decision point, because you've always been pretty active early in the draft season and why you decided to like just wait, wait longer in the season until you got into the mix. Yeah, I think there was a couple of things. I think, I mean, they're all, they're all kind of, less about, I mean, they're about fantasy baseball, but it's more kind of just like psychological. I think like just the way that I tend to draft, like I'm pretty, I, I've always been pretty rigid, like in terms of where I'm drafting and how I'm drafting, which generally is like, right. I'm starting off with starting pitching. And then maybe at like last year I was thrown in a closer in there too. And then I'm starting to get hitting, but I'm behind in speed. So I've got this limited player pool of guys that I want to get. 
And like, you kind of develop these, um, the way that I think about it is like, just the way your brain works, right. You develop these like neural pathways, uh, for different activities. Right. So like playing fantasy baseball, you know, like you're diving into the data. I've got these neural pathways that are like, man, my dopamine gets going when I see like, Oh, this free agent guy that I want. Right. Or whatever. <laughs> that's how much of a loser I am. Uh, Rob. So like, so that's kind of how it works, but I feel like that happens in drafts, right. Where we, when we're in a situation so many times before we, we develop kind of the guys we pivot to or the guys who are in our pool at that particular area in the draft. And so I really wanted to like have very few drafts and really have my first two drafts, which were both DCs really focus on trusting my values. Like when it came to both the projections and just like the values that they, that they, that they played out being flexible and not being like, I don't like that guy and not like having a reason why I don't like that guy, you know, like where you're just like, you know, you're maybe justifying why you don't like the player, but it's not, doesn't follow the same kind of, um, thought process as, as other guys that you do or don't like, you know, so really just trying to be open-minded. And I felt like having a limited number of drafts under my belt would help me do that. I think we've also always been in that situation where like we draft a bunch of guys in DCs and in our brains, we're like, oh, I have a lot of this guy. It's not a problem. Like, I don't have to get them in this big league or I don't have mm. to do this. And then you end up getting them in like one, one, one of them out of your like five or six big leagues, right? right. And you're just like, oh, oh, I love this player. I thought I had a lot of them, but it's in these 150 DCs or whatever, you know? And so like, I think part of it is that. And then part of it is just like, you know, like I put so much, I put a lot of time. I mean, there are other people who put more time into it than I do, but like, I put a lot of time into fantasy baseball have like a family, you know, six-year-old, nine-year-old, you know, my, my wife and everything like that. So it's like during the season, you know, I'm just so in it. Right. I'm on my phone all the time. I'm checking scores. I'm just like all of that stuff. And so like, you know, I, I need to take a break, like to also just like get away and like give them the time and the space and like to do other things and be focused in and to have more patience and like all these different things, which sounds kind of ridiculous, but it's like, you know, it's like I read and I didn't pay attention that much to news. Right. I mean, I was still in the discord chat and stuff like that, following what you guys were doing and trying to weigh in a little bit. So I didn't feel like I was just like a fly on the wall in there, but like <laughs> really just like, you know, trying to take a break and, and read and, you know, just kind of like relax a little bit. Cause the moment I start drafting, man, I am in it. You right. know, so it's like the moment I get into that, that slow draft, it's like, all right, I'm going to do four hours. I don't care. Like, I'm just going to take it slow. I don't care when people go, you know, six hours later, I'm like checking my phone. Like, is it my turn? Is it my turn? Is it my turn? Why is this dude taking so much long? Why is this dude taking so long? Right? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, and I'm like, I don't actually care that this guy is taking that long. I like, I literally do not care. Like that, whether I draft right now or in three minutes, but like, for some reason I'm checking my phone religiously and I like, don't want to make everybody else wait. Like, and I'm just like right back in it. Right. And so I knowing myself and knowing like my personality, like I cannot do things like half-assed. And so I really like either need to not be doing it at all, or I need to be in it full board. And honestly, like next year, I think I'm not going to do any slow drafts because I really think that like, I just seem like a different human being when I'm doing slow drafts, like in my life, like in terms of what I'm paying attention to, how thoughtful I am, like patience wise, like all of those things, you know, like doing like the things I need to do, like around the house and stuff. Like 
It's just, it's not good. So anyways, it's probably too much, but I felt like it was really helpful this year. I really like that. Um, I, I enjoyed it a lot. So I plan to do it next year too, for sure. You're totally right, man. Slow draft do make you a different person because I'm the same way. I'm full. I'm fully immersed and it carries, it carries over. Like I want someone to make a pick already and I'm outside with my dogs. I'm like, come on, go potty already. Like, just, <laughs> yeah. like come on, I got to get back inside to see if someone made a pick. Yeah, no totally. Reason. Right. No yeah, reason. Exactly. You're, You're like, a... I don't really care. But Who like, am I? Yeah. Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it, 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 it's, point. it's really, it's, it's kind of fascinating. And again, like, you know, I mean, like I love being in the slow drafts too, right? Like it's, it's fun. Yeah. It's, it's nice to have that little bit of time where you can really think about it. Like it probably helped my prep a good deal thinking about like the different decision points and stuff like that. But at the same time, man, those, those DCs and those earlier drafts, I mean, I miss out on the values like you, like you and other people got, right. Um, but it's just a, such a different landscape than those, the, the higher priced auctions. It's kind of like looking at well, one thing I think the NFBC should do is actually have, have the, um, online auction championship and the auction championship, uh, AAVs separate, you know, mm, yes, because like yes. they're all compiled together and they're just, they, they have nothing to do with one another. You know what I'm saying? Like the AAVs right. for the online championship, if you go into drafts expecting that, to be the AAV in those higher priced auctions, that's just not going to happen, you know? And so right. separating those out would be helpful. Cause I know like I was like manually trying to track like, okay, this Saturdays AAVs were auction championships and you know, the Fridays were, but not like the weekdays and like trying to compile it. So um, yeah. Anyways. You could have paid five dollars to have Zach Waxman give you that data. <laughs> uh, I should have. I should have. <laughs> he, he he takes uh he he's got so much fab, like draft data that kid's nuts, but God bless him. But yeah, um yeah, what a what a fabulous thing. This it's like we love to draft but at the same time the slow drafts do really get the best of me because I just can't take it. Like I I, I feel the same way. And I almost feel like like it would be cool, or maybe it's something the NFPC would consider, but like to do twenty rounds, maybe live, you know, and or 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 twenty, like twenty five, thirty, and then the rest mm. slow, you know, like mm. give me that juice early in the season, and maybe that's just what the gladiators did. Like the gladiators got me, um, and I think that's one thing that actually prepared me for the draft season earlier than normal was making fast. A decision doing fast gladiators was <clears throat> insane, especially with like a new format. And I was drafting with pretty much the same people every night, like DuPont and Zach Waxman. Yeah. It was the same Jeff Mitzef. It was the same group of people. And we start kind of to like, okay, I kind of know what's going to happen now, but still making quick decisions in November um, when you're not used to that, I think helped my brain get a little more, but that's what really like, come on, like these, all the slow draft after that were miserable, miserable. Cause I didn't do, I didn't have any slow draft champions going on during that whole gladiator thing. I was just like locked into that. I wanted mm. to focus on one format. And then when I came back to the draft champion, like this is slow draft stink. Uh, <laughs> but I did two expresses at the end of like in the middle of March before, like I, I ended my, you know, DC season and got into fab fab mode because that's a, that's a, that's a mode that you have to turn real quick, you know, because like you mentioned too, like you have 
all these players on your team and you want to like carry them into the drafting season. But there's also too like in your brain a lot. I have all like, I don't know, you have this outfielder on seven of your 10 draft champion team, but he's your outfielder eight or seven. Yeah. But then like in a fab league, your your brain's like like right, like thinking of him as an option, but literally he's not. You yeah. know, <laughs> when you have to like make that distinction in your head, like, no, no, he's he's not a guy I want to draft. He's a fab guy, you know. Um, you have to make that differentiation. Um so talk to me about uh your off season prep. Like, did you add anything new? Did you incorporate any like new metrics or did you like kind of look at different ways to like construct rosters? I know you're a big fan of the pocket aces, um, double, you know, having really good catchers. Did you did you think anything differently? Did you try to, you know, look at the way you built rosters last year and say, do I want to do anything this year? And I guess too, trying to, trying to adapt to, you know, anticipate the new run environment or the way we were anticipating MLB this year. Yeah. I mean, I didn't, I, I didn't do anything too different. I mean, I think if anything, I've really gotten further away from the super in-depth player analysis, you know, and I do feel like for hitters, at least I, I trust the projections to a good extent. I think that's a successful way. I think like one of the mistakes that, um, I mean, like everybody makes, so like, I don't want to say like a lot of people make and it, me not included in it, but is like, we focus so much on the individual player projections, you know, where it's like, Oh, well, you know, bad X said this dude was going to hit four, like 12 home runs and he hit 18. Like what a foolish projection. Why would you follow that? But like one of, I think the power, powerful things about drafting with projections is like, you know, for an individual player, they can be off by a decent amount, but I think barring injury, like it gives you a good sense of the strength of weaknesses of your team. Right. right? And so it allows you to be right or wrong on a player, because if you draft all your guys based on the projections, then the, the totality of your players, you know, like, um, the, like the more data points you have, the more likely you are to, to get to that, to that level that the projections say you are. And so I think that's one thing that I've, I've like, I think I've actually become even more of a fan of is really kind of trusting those projections. And I think working, I definitely worked more on like the, the back end of like, I know I talk about the spreadsheet a lot, but like I was always kind of playing around with that and learning new things. I mean, honestly, like you guys, I think helped me out a lot. Like, especially as I was thinking about the auctions, cause at the end, like I had, I had, uh, three, I had, I have four like pretty big leagues this year. Three of them are auctions. I have one main, um, you know, and that's kind of what I've, you know, that's, that's kind of how it went down. So the auction values were going to be really important. So just kind of playing that around with those and like understanding how the contextual factor factors of an auction changes, how you need to value players, like the skew of, of the value of players, you know, like I definitely went in and I was like, I don't know how anybody gets to like a, $40 anything. Right. But then you're like, Oh, well, when, you know, like when you think about it, like, like if, if $1 is replacement value, like we shouldn't be, we shouldn't be factoring in the same number of players that we would usually in a draft. Right. Like, so if there's, I can never remember the mem the number, but like, if you have 14 hitters on a team, you know, and you have 15, what is that? Like 100, I, I don't even know what is well, that, and like, 15 team is 180, 110 bets. 
210, 210 bats. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate it. You know, like, so instead of a, doing like, I have a, I have a posted actually that that's right on my computer Oh, do you? with the math. Yeah. Because, because I just want to like know that, especially like when I'm doing my content now for like the fab leagues and stuff, or like doing a start sit, you know, recommendations in my lineup thing. I just want to have that clear line of like, in my projections, I could see, okay, like, yeah, bat, bat, bat 160 in a 12 team is like fringe, like 168. Like I know, boom, I have it written down. So I don't forget. So, totally. 135 on is the pitchers. 135. Yes, 135 is the pitchers. So yes. like, but like everybody who goes for a dollar, like is a player, like that's replacement level. Right. So they really aren't in the player pool because they're, you know, um, you know, their replacement level essentially. And so you have fewer replace, you have fewer players that you include in the pool, which bumps the prices up. Right. And changes what the skew looks like overall of it. You know, and then as you kind of factor in those different pieces and are there more $1 players on the hitters versus the pitchers? And um, what does that do like to the value of strikeouts or, you know, what are the differentiations now? So like kind of understanding, I think more the nuances of putting together those auction values and like what that entails, I think was something that I focused like a lot more of my time on. Um, and then, yeah, just like thinking, just thinking about roster construction, thinking about being more flexible and less rigid. What's kind of ironic is like, you know, a guy that I really liked heading into this year was, was Freddie Freeman, you know, because of like the run environment last year, right? Like where it's like batting average low, Freddie does great. Like he steals some bases at first base. Like he's so damn consistent. He plays all the time, you know, like you look at him, like, it's all, I think he had one year where he was injured super early in the year, but since then it's all 600 plus plate appearances, right? Like just, just so solid. And I was like, I want to have a bat like that. Right. And then I want to supplement it with, with pitchers and things changed a little bit. I was going to grab a pitcher in second round and most of them. Um, but what changed was like JTR, you know, the injury to Hoskins. Mm-hmm. I was like, I think JTR is going to get more plate appearances now. I think he's more at 580. 590, 600 than he is at 525 or whatever the projections had him at. And when I put bumped him into that, like we were talking about player, like whatever it was 12 or something like that, you know? And so that was kind of the, um, that changed a little bit, like the, the, the idea or the game, the challenge being like with the new run environment, man, pitching, I wish I had more coals, right? I had, wish I had more striders. I wish I had those guys, even though striders, like, you know, he struggled a little bit, like from an ERA perspective, but the strikeout skills and and the walks are still so wonderful. So yeah, I guess I just focused a little bit more on that kind of team construction auction values, um, which kind of guys I liked pockets of players, you know, where in the draft things are happening, who are the guys that, that I'm willing to be a little bit more flexible on because I think there's higher ceiling there, you know, in the past I would have been like, "Ah, I want to be safe all the time. I don't want to bump Drew Rasmussen up you know, even though I like him, but like mm-hmm. being able to say, Hey, I think the projections are wrong in a variety of different places on him. My values have him as like a 15, $16 guy. I actually think he's 20 and I may be willing to go there. Although I didn't go that high for him. So just like things like that, like more, I think strategy stuff, honestly, like the player by player analysis is, is be, becomes less and less interesting to me. Like, I feel like, um, that that's one thing that I've noticed generally about like fantasy baseball is that individual let play level player analysis. I, I, you know, yeah. Yeah. We're we're right a lot. We're wrong a lot. And our brain doesn't really help us differentiate, you know? 
totally right. There's so like you said, so many good things there, but I totally agree with that. Just focusing more on the roster builds, the league context, the percentiles. Um, you know, like just like even even like specific. So like Steve Weimer, his article like in 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 the in the in the FTN draft guide, just like showing you like where like average was available and how much the, like the SGP contributors, like in certain pockets, it's like stuff like that. When, you know, every stuff like that, like, this is the stuff that matters. This is, this is what really matters, you know, because it's huge to know where, where stuff falls off, what stuff is actually scarce, you know, not just like, a myth of like positional scarcity, but like Steve mm -hmm. was like, no, it's, you know, categorical scarcity and like where to get it in the drafts. Things like that are just tremendous to really grasp and understand. And like you mentioned with the whole replacement value thing for auctions, you know, just reading the process. I was reading their auction, you know, section like multiple times and that whole thing, like they broke down. I'm going to give up too much that's in the book, but just talking about how much ends up um available in you like really that you could slide over to like say yeah i can go extra here you know because mm. of 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 just how many guys that go out that are just not in your player pool right like you said so it's just 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 things like that i think that really that really helps um and i totally get what you're saying with the pitcher thing too. And like, I, I was pretty aggressive in draft champion season with Strider Cole. I, I have like eight a piece of them. I'm not like, I was still going that route. Right. But I think when we were discussing too, like in the discord, like the AAVs of the pitchers, you know, and like two years ago, Cole and Burns were $45. Right. So it's like, they're coming off these magical 21, 2021 seasons. Right. And we all went hard for them. Um, even like even the bats, the Trey Turner, the J Ram, they were in the fifties, and like all these top guys were so much lower this year. But the pitching didn't really like make sense. To me, I know what that's what our value said, right? But it's and it's not even a hindsight thing now because of what looks to be like a more run scoring environment. But just didn't make sense to me how they were being devalued across the board because of. Oh, there's better pitching in the middle, right? I think that's something we maybe overemphasize the whole why why would I draft that at round one when I can draft this? And I think a lot of people made that, you know, like vocal, like why would I draft Garrett Cole when I could draft Brandon Woodruff? Well, because it's a sixty strikeout difference. <laughs> like anyone who plays in a league that understands how much a strikeout is and worth, that's a huge difference. And that's why you take Garrett Cole you know, before you take, you know, Brandon Woodruff, obviously there's plenty of ways to build the draft. I'm not saying that route is worse, but it's, um, those kinds of things crept into my mind in the off season, like, but especially at the auctions. And I, I just like kind of mad too, cause I, I don't have Cole in those auction leagues and I should have went for him more. I should have been more yeah. aggressive for that stable, you know, like I said, I was, it just didn't make sense. The values, like, how come these guys are like seven, eight, nine dollars less now? But there's can be probably just be just as equally important as to what they were, you know, last season or two seasons ago across the board. So, um, but the JTR thing is funny too because that was a conversation we had. I remember 
It's it's funny. I have like random snippets of memories that come back, but I remember getting ready for uh you know draft one morning. It was just in my laptop in the hotel room. You know, like just had a coffee, just like resetting myself. And um, we were discussing that. You know, you brought that up, and like hundred percent. That's such a great point. And it's something like um, you know, that you can that was in the back of my mind anyway. But like a guy like JTR, like you know, what if he plays more than what's listed here in the projection? But then that made it like a real thing. You know, Derek Hall, I mean, uh, Reese Hoskins, you're like, oh, Derek Hall's not going to play all the time. And it's so funny because that night um, of the MTM party, um, you know, I think you were talking to Tanner Bell about it because then you like kind of laughed and I came into the conversation and he's like, that's why you drafted GTR and it's like early in our OC, you know, he's just like, I see what happened. You guys had a whole conversation and you, I was like, oh yeah. I'm like, actually I was considering him taking in that. Like I wanted him there anyway in the second round. Oh, but you got to just... get JTR in, in an OC, you know, oh, like yeah. OCs is all about the catchers. All about That's, That it, was my man. huge mistake, Rob, is not getting a good second catcher in that league. In your OC? Yeah. 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 I, have, I have Sable. I'm going to have to drop this weekend probably. I do have Sable in one OC because that's the OC I decided to like wait on, on a second catcher and just don't do that yeah just, uh, what what does it say fuck around find out right we, fuck around we, and find we out. fucked around yeah. for a little <laughs> too long <laughs> we're finding yep. out yeah. we're finding out absolutely <laughs> um so how would you grade yourself on what you like wanted to do in your live drafts like your your expectation for a roster, guys you wanted to target, all of them. Like, you know, did you, how did you grade yourself out to, did you execute as you wanted to? Yeah. I mean, I think generally, like I felt, I felt pretty good leaving the draft room. I mean, I think the key is like, you want to give yourself, especially being like new in auctions. I really didn't want to mess up, you know, <laughs> like I just didn't want to like, just mess up. You know, like I, I like wanted not to give spend myself twenty eight dollars. Like that was the biggest thing. Just spend your money. No, totally. First goal. Spend your money on like good players mostly, <laughs> and not like be like, oh, I'm getting really good values, but like, yeah, I'm like, my team sucks. Um, but yeah, so I feel like the first first auction was definitely one where I was like, I didn't like how it started, but I liked how it ended, and I felt better. I actually felt best about my second auction. I felt really good about that one. That was the one where. It's kind of like what you were talking about, where you, you're playing it, you're playing it, you're waiting for it, you're waiting for it, and it happens. Mm-hmm. And, and boom, boom, boom. It's like three, four, five guys within 10 picks that are all really good values, guys that you like, the guys you were waiting for, and it feels, it feels really good. You know, like it, it literally, you're, you're there and you feel so in control at that moment in time, which, which feels great because you feel so out of control for like the rest of the auction, you know? Um, so I felt really good about that second one, the way that it went, the diamond auction was like, like a different beast. It was just really hard to read. There was no consistency in terms of like guys early going for more expensive and then getting cheaper. It was like this peaks and valley valleys of like bargains and, you know, like overpays and whatever. And, and by overpays, I just mean like guys going for above, above what they had typically gone for the, in the drafts. And that one was really hard to read, but felt really good about what it, what it came out with. You know, I'm like an 80 percentile type drafter guy. And, and I felt really good about how all of my teams, um, kind of worked out. I think it's much more like the individual 
type decisions. You know, you mentioned Cole, like I had Cole as like a $43 guy and I didn't go above. I got him for 40 in one draft could have gotten him for 41 in another, you know, like I could have gotten him. I could have gotten him for 39 in one. Although Matty Mo might've gone, gone above me there, but like, and that would have been good, especially considering that all of the other elite starting pitchers went way above, you know, like not just their AAV for me, but what I had them actually worth, you know? And so right. Cole getting him on at least one other team would have made a lot of sense. And, and I didn't kind of pull it. So there's just stuff like that. Or like, I didn't end up with Ahmed Rosario on any of my big teams. I really like Ahmed Rosario. I wanted him badly, but it felt like in every single draft, you know, it was like, I could get Tim Anderson for 17 bucks. Right. But I could not get Ahmed Rosario for <clears throat> even 16 bucks. You know, like even above AAV, it just was not happening. Right. And that's just, that's just kind of something that happens with the auctions. Like you, you, I guess you don't like the guy as much, but so it's just <laughs> things like that where like, yeah, like, like I wish I had him on the team. Right. And especially with TAA already injured. And I'm like, dude gets injured every year. Ahmed plays every single game and 650, right. 700 plate appearances. Like what was I thinking? But you know, you, you live and you learn. Yeah, you definitely live and you learn. The one thing I did on my last my last draft was the auction, um, and it was on Sunday. And I, I made a little list, you know, a little uh, tab in my Google Sheet. It was just like, um, guys, I really want to try to get. That was, I think, the label. Not like I have to, because you don't want to lock yourself in. But, you know, guys I would really like to try to get. And uh, Phil, Phil was hanging out, and... Uh, I said, this is my list. I show him like this is the guys I really want it. And it was like, I think he went he went to go do something. He came back and I had the list. Like I had all the guys shaded that went that I didn't get. And he goes, What happened? And I was like, he goes, Then I guess you didn't really want them. You know, like and, and that like exactly yeah. what you just said, you know? And I was like, Yeah, I guess so. It's just like I really wanted Nico because I had all of Ahmed, like you said. Um and you know, he got thrown out first and he was like at $17 when he was like, you know, going for 13 for like, I can't do this now, you know, like, but even though I love him, like, just can't justify that in your brain because you could have had him in earlier drafts for $4 cheaper. So, yeah. um, same thing, like other players like Rasmus and, um, spring, they're just like, I'll keep it in the back of my mind. Like, let me just try to be as aggressive as everyone else. But it's just, they just were steam. They were like, too much helium that whole and and detmers and like you know i think i think you know i've always been like talking up detmers in the discord it's like i had you know and then all of a sudden it's just at that right time right where you just can't get them because it just went to a spot where i just was not comfortable beating everyone else to it you know it's like he was going like right next to like right after like hunter green was going at some point so i'm like nah like i don't think so like not yet you know but just all those little things, like, um, taught to really grade yourself at it, but, um, I don't know. But how would you, um, how would you anticipating the, the, the MLB environment? And like, I know you use SGP, so like, were you massaging that at all? Or are you just like, you know, really trusting like what Jeff Zimmerman has out there and, or just like what, what, uh, you know, what the percentiles were? in the previous season and did you kind of like merge maybe the last two years or did you just take last year's environment going forward? Yeah. I mean, I really took, I really took uh, last year's environment pretty much. Like I think I made a couple adjustments 
just based on like how I felt where, where I was finding myself being strong or weak based on the guys that I liked and the projections. So, you know, um, maybe, um, uh, decreasing the value of speed a little bit because of, you know, the kind of expected run environment or the expected running environment, you know, um, stuff like that, but more minor adjustments. I was definitely expecting it. I did not expect the happy fun ball to come back, you yeah. know, because it seemed like it was kind of counter to what MLB has been working towards. Right. Like that's what totally surprises me about it is like, it seemed like they wanted balls in play. They wanted steal stealing, you know, they wanted like this specific type of game that the happy fun ball was not conducive toward. And, and all of a sudden they have it again, you know, like, and so that's, yeah. that's kind of thrown me for a loop a little bit. And I think one of the challenges is like, I feel like there's a certain profile of player that it devalues a little bit, actually like Ahmed Rosario type guys, honestly, I feel like it devalues them a little bit because like Gene Segura is a good example where I got him on two or three really good teams. And I'm like, well, that's great. I mean, he struggled to begin with, but it's like, I mean, you know, his, his strength, the reason why he was so valuable is because of the batting average and the steals in an environment that maybe wasn't as conducive to batting average, you know, with the double digit home runs, but now that batting average, you know, has gone up tremendously. Um, and who knows if that will, if that one will hold as much, but, um, you know, in speed going up, like, I think it devalues that skill set maybe a little bit. Um, you know, so I think if I were to go back and do things a little bit differently, it's maybe, um, expecting that a little bit because it, it was like where with last year's run environment, you could have those guys who were like low double digit homers or high single digit homers, you know? like your Nico Horner, your Ahmed Rosario, you know, those types of guys. Whereas Benny. now with like the existing run environment, like those guys, I don't know how much they're going to be boosted by home runs, you know? Um, yeah. Like Benny's a good example too. Um, you know, so, so those are some of the things, but like, there's nothing we can do now really. Right. I mean like, right. yeah, I could, I could talk to you about all the different things that I do, but we're in the run environment. We are right now. We got to figure out a way to adjust. We got to figure out, the same thing we always do, right? We're trying to find guys on the wire that can outperform what everybody thinks they're going to do. And we hope our guys stay healthy. We hope we can make the right decisions on a week to week lineup to lineup type of type of basis. And, you know, use all the tools that are disposable to kind of maximize that. Yeah, absolutely. Weimer had a great line last night during our pod where he said, I don't look at stats, you know, he's just looking at the projection going forward. You know, it had me laughing. Because- <laughs> You know how we I think we always discuss that, like we don't realize what the what the guys on our team are actually doing sometimes because we're always looking so forward. It's like, oh my god, I've been starting this guy's last 80 plate appearances, like he's done nothing for me. But he just always projects well, so you're gonna like go with that forward. But um it's tough. It's a tough game, you know. It humbles yeah. you sometimes really, really quickly. Um so I wanted to give you the opportunity to tell everyone about this wonderful idea, if you want to to talk about it, that you had for the Champions League. Do you want to? Get oh into that? man, um, want to get into that a little bit? It's up to yeah, you. Yeah, I, I we can get into it a little bit. Um, yeah, yeah. I I send in the I I put together kind of like a concept paper, and and I haven't heard back yet on it. Um, but um. I think, uh, yeah, I'll probably hear back pretty soon. Yeah. So I, I was in, um, I can't remember what I was, I can't remember like what inspired it, but I mean, like when you're down in Vegas at the MNFBC, 
Like, you know, you're hanging out with everybody. You're talking fantasy baseball. It's kind of like the pinnacle of fantasy baseball, right? You have like, you know, there are very good players who do not play in the NFBC, who just play home leagues, who do different things. And so this is not to like, you know, discredit anybody in, in the different types of leagues that they play. There are very good players everywhere, but like people who are really thinking about like fantasy baseball all the time, how to improve, how to get better. And so like one of the things I'm a, I'm a big soccer fan, right. And in, in, uh, in soccer, you have the champions league. And like, so essentially like in Europe, the champions league, you have all these different leagues that compete, you know, in different countries. And then the best teams from each league every year or the following year, right. Like they go into the champions league and they play against each other. And it's like a tournament where only the best play and that, in a lot of ways, you know, because a lot of the teams that are the best in all of Europe are already the best teams in their individual league. They have a bunch of those titles. And so, you know, whatever. Um, and, and, and so like the champions league is kind of like the pinnacle of, of, of soccer, right? Like that's, that's what every player dreams of winning in a different, in addition to their like domestic league or whatever. And so like, I was just thinking about, you know, one of the challenges I think that we are not like challenges, but like we have, you know, um, all these leagues in the NFBC and it's fantastic, right? We have the main event, we have the OC, we have these high stakes leagues, you know, um, and, 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 you know, people are playing in those. And, but one of the things that I think would be really cool is, you know, there's no leagues that are necessarily like all, um, performance based, right? Like there's no leagues where it's like, you know, you have to have won a certain percentage of your leagues, or you have to have, done super well in the previous year to be in that year, right? You have like a buy-in um, and that's totally cool. And I, I would never suggest that anything like that should change, but I was thinking it'd be really cool if, um, if there, the idea behind the champions league is essentially like to have a performance based single league, right. That everybody kind of looks to as like, you know, you know, whether it's the pinnacle of fantasy baseball or just the NFBC, whatever, but like, essentially the idea would be you have like a champions league package that you purchase. So it's like a per a, a series of leagues, you know, for selfish reasons, I'd, I'd choose like 15 team Roto leagues. Right. So like, let's just say it's like three leagues. You buy one, a main event competes in the main event. You buy one, um, DC draft champions and you buy one, um, online auction, you know, and that's, and, but you, each player can only purchase one, champions league package right you can compete you can buy however many main events you want you can buy as many ocs as you want you can buy whatever but you can only have one shot in kind of the champions league and then you play and so like let's say you have 300 people that buy the champions league package you essentially get a certain number of points so if you're first place you get 300 points if you're last you get one point so if you get you know you finish first in the main in, in the main event champions league grouping like you get 300 points if you finish at one in the middle and the dcs you get 150 whatever but you have a points and at the end of the season the top 15 players from those three formats you know that that bought that champions league package the top 15 players go to a single league that plays the next year there's no buy-in like you can't just buy into the league you have to earn it through your points in the previous year and then you play in that league and then that league is a high stakes league, right? So it's a percentage of that champions league package. You pay more than you would typically. And whatever you pay extra goes into that prize. So let's say you have 300 people and you, everybody pays like, um, you know, uh, an extra hundred bucks, right? 
you're looking at a $30,000 prize pool right there. Well, what if people were to, you know, different organ, uh, different entities were interested in advertising so they could contribute to that pot. Right. And then you have a single league. It's like the last, um, it's the last league that's drafted in Vegas by the NFBC. You have like, you know, like it's a live draft. You have people mic'd up or whatever, like it's all people who did so well the previous year that they were the best 15 in this champions league package. And they're playing for it. There's no buy-in, right? So it's all free. like you're in for free, right? Like at, at that point, like if you're able to qualify. And then I just think it would be really cool for like the person who wins that league the subsequent year and every subsequent year is like kind of the, the you know, uh, best player in the world, if you will, right? And so you still have like the main event, you still have the OC and the titles for that are like huge, right? Like they're not only like, like monetary, monetarily are they really you know, uh, huge, but like, just from like, you know, as a player, like that's still a huge thing, just like winning a tournament, you know, like you win the Indy 500 or something like that. in in whatever F one or whatever it is like, that's huge. Right. Right. And so like, but with the champions league, you'd have one person who's kind of like crowned as like the champion of that year. And I think there would be some really cool opportunities there where it's like, you know, you have a podcast that sponsors the Champions League and interviews all 15 of the players leading up about like, what are your strategies or how did you get here? And then a few years down the road, right? You have that player who started out in their $50 home league, right? And was like, oh, the Champions League, I, I want to play in that. And they put in 50 bucks, they play their 12 team league, they win, they take that money, they put it into an OC, you know, they, they win their OC, they put that money into a main, you know, they win that main, they've got enough money to buy that, that champions package, you know, like later on. Um, and they're, and they're there, right? Like they're playing with the best players in the world for fantasy baseball. And so I just feel like there would be a lot of really cool opportunities that would be generated, um, you know, uh, by something like that. I mean, it's not without, you know, challenges or, or concerns. And like, I think one of the challenges is obviously that, the buy-in would still be sizable, right? Like you'd still need to be able to come up with that um, to play in it, which, which, you know, is just, I think at this point, like, like part of, part of it, maybe you have champions league qualifiers and stuff like that, that people can buy into right for cheaper and kind of, mm -hmm. kind of be able to get that package by, by winning those leagues, whatever it is. So there's a lot of like unanswered questions, but I put together, like, I was so fired up from NFBC that I put together like a three or four page concept paper that just kind of walked through the different things. But there's some really cool personalities in fantasy baseball, right? Like we've all been there, like in the auction where like DuPont is like, you know, like yelling out his name <laughs> super loud. Like, you know, he's not going for the guy, but like, he's going to do it. Or he's going to throw out like the Yankees, right? Like yep. the, the, he's going to throw out Anthony Volpe as his first guy. He's going to throw out Clark <laughs> Schmidt as the second guy. He has no interest in him, but you want to know something? He's going to toot, toot their horn, right? Like, there's all these different personalities and I feel like it would give an opportunity for people, you know, to like have a venue through which to do that. Cause it's really challenging. Like right now there really isn't like a single league that people focus on, you know, or like that gets like the most attention, you know? And I really feel like something like that, that's performance-based, like, you know, where the best players go and they play, like, I think that could be, a, that could be really uh, a really cool thing to do. And I think a way to grow fantasy baseball. Um, so again, like I put together the concept paper, I, I shared it with you guys and, and 
Um, I was trying to get feedback on it, you know, just to like, see if it was, it was a possibility, but I guess, I guess it's out there now. Uh, so, um, yeah, uh, that's cool. That, that's I, kind of the idea between the champions. Like, yeah, I love it. I love the whole concept of it. I love the, like having multiple formats involved because I think that's really, that's really like, that's really key. Um, just, it just shows you all around skill set, right? You show your skills in a drafting hole. They showed your skills in a 12 team league, showed your skills in a 15 team bab league. Um, you know, like there's some people was like, Oh, we'll throw a best ball in there too. Whatever. Like it, it's cool. I like that whole concept of, of just saying, okay, he's like, everyone is competing in a multiple, like multiple different formats. It's the all around skill sets. And the highlighting part of it is really awesome too. Like you said, it, just would be really cool to talk about this one specific league as a focus, you know, like I would totally podcast about that. Like, absolutely. I totally. I, and like, and track it closely. Right. It gives you that one league right. to like, yeah. to follow. Like, like, yeah. yeah. And I mean, the thing is, like you said, like, I mean, the reason why I chose those leagues is like the main is kind of like your 15 team, yep. you know, super competitive league you know, your draft and hold really does challenge you like in your depth of knowledge of the player pool uh, of your drafting generally, you know, mm -hmm. and obviously there can be like bad luck from year to year. Not it. Everybody's not going to qualify for the champions league every single year, you know? Um, and then also the auction piece of it. Right. So you have to be good at auctioning. You have to be good at the snake draft. And then you have to be good at like the actual drafting depth of player pool, knowledge of rookies and stuff like that. That is so critical to, um, you know, uh, the draft champions, uh, draft champions leagues. And like, one of the things is too, is like these leagues would still compete in like the overall for the main or right. the overall for the online or for the online championship. Like there's no reason why those leagues can't be there. Maybe they're slightly more competitive because, you know, uh, people are in there or maybe people are going for their guys more in that type of league. But, um, again, like I feel there's opportunities and challenges with that too. Um, and so it'd just be cool. And then you'd have situations where it's like, you know, so-and-so player like 10 years down the road has qualified for the champions league in six of 10 years, you know, or like he's going for his second, you know, champions league title or whatever, you know? And, and so you start to get like that yeah. type of stuff and those Cinderella stories, you know, Ooh. that player, right? Like you get all of those narrative pieces that like, I feel like in some ways can kind of take the game to the next level maybe. So, um, you know, and, and yeah. And, and the NFBC is like, you know, I love the NFBC. I love the leagues. I love the people who run it. Like I love all of those different pieces. And it feels like that would be the one entity that could kind of house something like that and really be able to say like, this is the best competition in, in, in fantasy baseball. So. I think you're totally right. And I, I think like, I think because I experienced some of that firsthand, like just by playing in you know, NFBC for my first full year and doing one draft champions and winning the overalls. Like, I feel like that's, that's like, that's what you're trying to get to though. Like that's what you said. Like I, that's what I did. I, I won. I, I, I noticed Ryan Bloomfield talking about this NFBC on baseball HQ, you know, it's just playing home leagues. And it's like, Oh, this is interesting. Clicked on it one day, read through a little bit of it. Okay. Like interesting. So I looked more and more at it and, want to set some money aside and the wife was like yeah like you you're good at it like you know doing this so why don't you try you know like the, those are some cool prizes like wow can you imagine you know and um that's what i did i won my i won my home league set some money aside like i'm i'm gonna do this this is what i want to do you know um 
I think I'm good at it and I'm going to try it out. And I think exactly, it's exactly it. Like you're setting up that for like said, a whole bunch of other people just to have the opportunity to, like you said, being part of that whole thing. Like, oh, this guy's won two, you know, Champions League titles in like five years. And you get storylines. You get, um, it's just a good way to follow. Like you said, it's a highlight one league. We talk about the main event. We talk about online championships. But like to have this one league as a focal point, um, I think I was joking in Vegas, like you should like it should be real world MTV style where all 15 <laughs> contestants live in the same house. <laughs> and if they have like podcasts, if they're content created, they still have to do what they do, you know, and it's like everyone's living in the house. Just like stupid idea. But it's just funny, like because um, I think. I think it'll make for some good content and I think it'll make for some great stories. And I think that's what it's about. Like hundred percent about just great stories. And there's so many people, like you said, the characters, you know, like a Jason DuPont, like I felt like I was in a movie or a TV show the whole Vegas weekend. So many characters, you know? Oh, um, totally. From all over, all over the U S you yes. know, like Canada, like, you know, it's, it's it's great yeah, yeah. i mean there's yeah. there's great people who are have so really interesting backstories too right like you have like former like nba coaches like who are in these leagues you have like film directors who are in these leagues right like <laughs> yeah like seriously like yeah it's it's, it's fascinating Guys who are stuff, on survivor dude. um you know just so many things you're right so many things uh so many characters this is i would love to get a get them all like highlighted somehow, you know, just like when you say random people just come out of the woodworks and like, too, like you're, 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 you're hanging around like people who won multiple overall titles or it's like you're in a table and it's like, this guy won the main event overall. This guy won the online championship overall. So many, um, so many cool things. Um, and the way to encompass it is and make like one ultimate league would be cool. And, and, and like you said, there's probably some hurdles to it, but um, I think it could be like worked on to, uh, you know, be perfect. And uh, I really like it. I think that's a cool idea. Um, and the other thing I want to talk to you about before we get out of here is like, um, just talk to me about your decision to stop podcasting. Um, you know, it's, uh, I think I've always told you this publicly and privately, but you know, you, you like my biggest inspiration and motivation to do this. Um, because I first started listening to fantasy baseball podcast. I got hurt at work and I had some time. My wife's like, you should do this. You should do this. Like you're good at it. You listen to all of it all the time. And, um, but you know, it's like had all these mainstream podcasts, you know, and it's like, I remember hitting your 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 bat flip crazy one time on Apple Podcasts. And I just remember listening to you. I'm like, this guy is on point. And he was like so different than everybody else and like made me look at the game in a whole nother level from the way I, you know, normally play it. And um, you know, I just think like you tell the best stories out there. Um, when you talk about a player, when you talk just how you like compartmentalize everything how you just throw it out there so it's sad that i won't hear you on the airwaves anymore but um i know i know what it has to do like about life and everything but i just want like i just want you to know i hope you know like you've made an impact and like not on me but a lot of other people so you know and i just like feel like i know like a lot of people are gonna miss hearing you 
you know, get into your fab, like recaps every week and just, just hearing your breakdowns on players. Cause it's awesome. And of course your, your funny ice cream s'more stories too. <laughs> Where are we going to yeah. get that? I know. Right. Dairy queen's really going to need to step up their game, <laughs> you know? Um, uh, no, I really appreciate the kind words, Rob. Um, yeah, I mean, I, and, and you know, I love to talk too. Right. Um, <laughs> but, uh, no, and, and I'll say, I, I remember, you know, when, when you first started like DMing me or like interacting with me. And I remember when you won the DC overall, and I think I like, I like checked to see who won and it was your name up there. And I think I DM'd you and I was like, is, is that you that just won the, the DC, <laughs> like the DC title? And you're like, that was me. And I was like, man, that's, that's so cool. Um, yeah. I mean, like I I've done the, I've been doing the podcast thing for a while and, and like, I love, I love to podcast and, and I love to chat and like, you know, partnering with Bubba on the Pat podcast had been amazing. And, and honestly, like, you know, if it wasn't how much I enjoyed kind of like sharing the time with him and, um, working with Bubba on that, like I probably would have stopped, you know, uh, a, maybe a year or two ago. And I think it's just like, you know, like I mentioned, like I, you put so much time and energy into it. Like people have heard me talk all the time about like, you know, my Saturday nights, like I'm very cool. Uh, you know, is like fab, right? Like I, you know, I finish cleaning up and then it's like eight 30 to depending on how many leagues I have, like, you know, like one, two in the morning, I'm doing fab. And like I mentioned, like I'm super distracted. Like I'm not my best human while I'm doing fantasy. Like I'm on my phone. I'm looking at that. Like, I'm just so in tune with it and trying to stay up with all the information that it really does detract from the amount of time and attention that I can kind of provide like other things in my life. And so I think that's like the primary thing, but it's like, you know, I have, I have my six and nine year old kids and it's like, you know, they're doing like baseball and now I have like baseball on, you know, Monday and Thursday nights and then a game. And then it's basketball on Saturdays or whatever. And then it's just like, I start adding it up and I'm like, so I'm doing this on Mondays. I'm doing this on Thursdays. I'm doing this on Saturdays. I'm doing, and then there's the games to throw in. And then it's like, I'm doing fab on Saturday nights. And then for part of the day, Sunday, and then you're just like, wait a second, like, where is, you know, like, where is the free night, you know, or whatever. And so that's really what it's about is like, just kind of like part of it is just trying to be, uh, trying to have more of that time. Like I really do value, like, I think I've always done kind of the independent thing because like, I just value like my time over anything else. And so like, I just feel like, you know, I love the game. I love talking about it. I think like having groups like our discord, like where we chat about it, you know, like I, I partner on teams now with like Brian Slack. So like chatting with him about it every week, like having those text messages, like having the engagement on Twitter. Like I've been less engaged on Twitter for now for like a couple of years, I think. And I'm just trying to like take a little bit of a, of a step back. And I don't know whether it's like a year thing or, uh, you know, like what, you know, or, or longer or whatever happens, like I'll still show up, like, you know, when, when people ask me to be on, but like less frequently than on a weekly basis. And, um, you know, like we're recording on a Friday night, like Friday nights or like the weekends or things like that, where there's a little bit more flexibility in the time and I'm not going to bed late. Um, and, and that's kind of impacting me. I haven't, I had, I got a new job, like, you know, last year at some point that has me like super busy all the time. And so like, I honestly, like there will be days where I forget to check 
lineups in time because it's just like meeting after meeting after meeting. And so just really trying to have that time when I have like to just kind of relax and hang out, be with the family if that's what it is. But even just like having two hours at night on a weekday to like look over the stat cast, you know, box scores and like, just see that be there without like having other things pressing up on me, you know? So it really is about that. Um, I'm sure I, like, I, I do miss it. Like I miss hanging out with Bubba, um, you know, and, and, but I'll be on occasionally on things like this, you know, like, um, to just, cause I love talking baseball. Um, and I think it's just a matter of like being a little bit more flexible and, um, doing it a little less frequently, especially during the season. So, um, yeah, that's kind of the, the, the way too long answer for why, why I'm doing it, but, um, that's kind of what I'm doing and, and, um, it's cool. Yeah. So, but I appreciate your kind words. I mean, like, you know, when I announced it, it was, it was really nice and people were super thoughtful. Um, and I'm really glad that, that I've been able to do that. I've, I've really enjoyed it. Like I, I remember when I first started it and I was just like, Oh my God, this is all I want to do. You know, like this is just, all I want to do is talk fantasy baseball. I want to do deep dives on players. I want to do all this stuff. And it's like, you know, um, yeah, maybe, maybe a little bit of a breather or something like that yeah. will, will get me fired back up. So we'll see. Yeah, no life, life, life balance is way more important than, you know, like you said, you get a couple hours to yourself doing whatever, even it's just like going and sitting outside and just doing nothing and, uh, different with kids too you know i don't have kids so that's that's definitely i can't imagine trying to work that in i i, I wouldn't i wouldn't be able to do that many leagues for sure um but yeah no that's yeah. all that stuff makes absolute sense um i was and i know like i still get to hear your opinions in our chats you know but <laughs> the discord yeah, yeah 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 but hearing you like talk stuff out is always great i was like I knew it was coming too, and I was mad. You know, I was mad when I heard it. Even though I knew it was coming, I was like, "God damn you, Toby! Yeah. I need you in my life. I need you to talk to me. <laughs> I need I'll you. Do, I'll, I'll start doing Discord <laughs> updates in voice. Yeah, you know? yeah. Like I'll, I'll start leaving little audio files for you. Yeah, <laughs> Toby's audio files. Hey, well, you have your own channel, you know. Are you the vent? You know, you have your own thread for you to go. I do. There. I do. I do. Yeah. We created a thread that's Toby talking to Toby, I think is what <laughs> it's called. And it's just me just being like, what were you thinking? Or Bill fucked it up. Hello. By replying. Hello. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I love how you made it. I was like, I love how you made that thread actually when I requested it. That's what goes on, man. I try to I try to manage uh, a discord with the utmost customer service, you know, yeah. and all the, uh, the the Meepo Mafia crew is really enjoying the uh the the emojis that are being thrown out in there. But uh cool man, I really appreciate your time and especially for you not, you know, wanting to spend any extra time on fantasy. So for you to take some time <laughs> extra time with me. Any really... anytime, anytime, anytime for you, Rob. Awesome, man. Um, I really, but I really you're you, and you're doing, I mean, you're doing incredible work. It's actually really nice. Like I feel like you know, with the pods that you're putting out, like the consistency with which you're putting them out and the fact that they are so focused, you know, strategically has been great. Cause that's like really the content that I'm, that I'm interested in and, and kind of looking for that's out there. So you're really doing some incredible work. I, I am not able to engage in the discord as much as I would love to, but like, I mean, the, um, the notes that you do like in the, um, 
yeah. And the Patreon pods, like those notes are super in depth. Like that's exactly what I would love to, you know, like, I love hearing that like every morning and, um, or not every morning, but you know, when it, when it's on normally it's like in the evening when I'm washing dishes or whatever, but, um, yeah, yeah. It's just like really great content. And, and I love that your voice too, is like really showing with like the content that you're putting out and what you've done with launch angle pod, like, um, too, I think is fantastic. So I'm now realizing that like, you know, I like, 85, 75% of my podcast that I'm listening to now involve your voice, Rob. So I maybe, I maybe should, should, uh, I, I hope you're right on all this stuff. <laughs> I appreciate that, man. Now, a lot of those notes too, are like inspired by stuff that you like really got me into, you know, a lot of the little like nuances of pitching and, and, um, so it's good. And I think it's, it's keeping me really locked in, you know, I'm retaining more, I think of, of, you know, cause like, one thing I've always um, admired about certain people, like maybe like Nick Pollock, right? He can recite things from like 2017 of a specific game and a specific moment. Like, and I'm like, man, like I can't remember that. But as I'm doing these notes, um, you know, pretty much daily, it's just like they're locked into my head now. Like I do remember this pitch that a pitcher threw. I do remember Nick, Nick, Nicky P has a, a cutter he's thrown to righties, you know, just all these little things that maybe like would have gone on the wayside because I I'll like, cause I'm, you know, I think that's why it takes me on a full game slate. Like I, I'll try to do some box scores at night and some in the morning, but sometimes like, um, I really enjoy like diving into three or four players, right? Even if it's Mauricio Dubon, right? Um, I just like to give that context. Like, is he available in leagues? And like, you know, why is he hitting 350? Is it real? And um, just taking those extra 10, 12 minutes to like watch Geraldo Podomo's hits, <laughs> his spray charts, like just random things like that. Like, oh, it, it looks like he might be benefited on the shift because he he was shifted a lot but he has hits on the right side like oh no those were right-handed opposite field singles and he has two this year but he really had eight last year like all this stuff is like now starting to get rolodex in my brain i just feel like it's gonna help my play too so um but yeah i'm i'm liking it man i think uh i've really the support in the discord too is just really cool. There's so many sharp people out there, man. Like they're hiding on Twitter, mm -hmm. you know, but they come into discord and they share their thoughts. Like, man, there's so many smart people playing in here. It's like, everyone's really on their game. And I think that's like one thing that a lot of the, um, um, people that I've met in the, at, in Vegas, who like the older crowd of the NFPC that said like, you know, the, the newer, younger crowd, um, is really like force them to you know up their game step up their game it's like you know it's, um and it's cool to see that it's like i love the like there's so much competition because i know like it's just gonna it's just gonna make us better and it's just gonna keep this around and 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 like really cool for a long time so but uh yeah man um appreciate the yeah, kind words too yeah and what you were saying actually made me think of something that i that that i had thought about which was like I feel like early on in the season, the granular data that you're talking about is like really important, like really looking at like more so than you would over like a larger sample, some of the smaller data points or like the, the places where we have larger samples. Like, I don't want to pick on any one person, but like I saw somebody post a tweet that was like, you know, Jose Barrero on the reds is somebody to watch because 
his K percentage is down. And that's been like one of the major factors that's like impacted his success or whatever. And like, and so I was like, Oh, that's interesting. I'm going to check out Jose Barrero. And it was like, well, his K rate was down, but like his contact rate was also down. So it's just this small sample size fluke where similar to like Nick Pavetta, right? It's like, if you focus on like that cutter to righties and understanding how that impacts his repertoire, like, you know, like that may have more value early on in a season before you have that larger sample where the K rate is actually more reliable than that, like per pitch type metric, you know? So just like not focusing on those like higher level things quite yet. Um, even though it feels like we've been in the season for like (laughs) for ages and ages. So, yeah. And and that's what I was trying to look at, like, obviously things that kind of not stabilize, but become like a factor early and like, you know, Fangraphs has an article like from 2009. It's like, man, like, can we get an, can we get an updated one? Um, <laughs> I know they have like a chart for it too that you can input, but you know, like a uh, swing percentage, for example, like after 50 plate appearances, like you can, you know, you can kind of really take some of that stuff, you know, with some seriousness. And so like, um, I've been like, like I've been really liking to look at zone swing and O swing, you know, and just guys like Nolan Gorman, example he's chasing less and he's swinging more in the zone you know and that gap that he had that was really small where he can like be effective has not gotten bigger so is that real like he and he's there he's on that he's getting close to that 50 plate appearance it's like wow so this could possibly be a real change you know like and they he struggled with fastballs up in the zone and like they said because he got those counts too much you know, like he because he was too passive mm. in the zone and he was chasing too much so it's like when you see those things in a player you're like oh wow this could be this could be real you know and i think it's um i think um more and more with all the information that we have and with how sharp everyone is you can't afford to wait on things obviously nolan gorman's owned all across the board but if there's a player that's not um you can't afford to wait for that next 50 plate appearances. Like you just can't these days. Everyone is on everything. The information is blasted in everyone's face. And if you don't act quick, you just, you're not going to get that player that you like, Oh shit, I saw this, but I just wanted to see more. Um, You know, you just can't these days. You really can't. You got to act quick. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's and it's, yeah. It's like, uh, it's like boo bitch this weekend, you know, like, we all wanted to get him before he threw that start on Sunday, right? Because of what we saw in that first start. And then he goes and like crushes it, you know? And then everybody, everybody I'm wants trying, him. I'm trying not to look at the, you know, my, my, uh, you know, my uh, fab results from the week prior where he was my fifth conditional, you know? I'm uh, to look at that, you know, like, because I had him in the bid list for like the first week. Um, and I think Steve got him, right? Is Steve got him that week? Probably Did he? Sense. Yeah. Uh, so. Why am I? Yeah. Always, yeah. He'll always come through with stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah. Ryan Helsley last year. Michael Chris Harris. Bubich this year. Oh, did, like, did, did he get Michael Harris too? He did last year. I think he was the, he, he got him for the cheapest price that anyone got him in the main. He's like, I wouldn't even try to get him. Yeah. <laughs> that's what happened. But yeah, with Bubich, like. You just have to, you just have to be quick if you're, you you have to be aggressive with the money too, because you know what it's going to take to get him. And, um, you know, I hear him too. It's like everyone was being aggressive, like in spring training on guys bumping up, 
you know, spring seven dollars from his previous AAV or Reed Detmer's 90, 100 picks. And I'm not saying Chris Bubich is on that level, you know, but maybe he is, right? Who knows? But I don't feel like, you know, being aggressive with 90 or 100 bucks in fab versus going, you know, bumping a guy up 10 rounds in, in three weeks, you know, Reed Detmer's. And as much as I love them, like it's just so if you can act quick then with what they're you know like oh spring training doesn't matter anyway it's weak competition so if it mattered then why shouldn't it matter now you know that's like part of my thinking was like you got if you ain't first you're last that's uh yeah basically what it is but the spring thing reminds me like maybe my favorite podcast of the off season or second i think another one was maybe one of the ones that you did too was um was uh when you had lance brozdowski on to talk about the pitching and the pitching shapes. And I remember listening to that podcast and we both had the exact same response, which was Jeffrey Springs needs to get a sweeper. Cause it's like these pitchers and, and like, I'm, I, you know, like obviously like now it's like, Oh, well, it's good that we missed out on him or whatever, but it's like, you know, that guy who can get the opposing batter out. That's normally the problem with like the platoon splits, right? Because he's got the wicked change up but doesn't have that, that slider that can get the lefty out, right? Like who's got the reverse platoon splits. Like I remember listening to that and we both, I think you had put it in the discord already. And I was just like driving on, I can remember where I was on the highway when I heard him talking about that. And I was like, Jeffrey Springs needs this pitch. And then like, Three weeks later, they were like, Jeffrey Springs is working on a sweeper. And it was just like, oh, yes. yes, that is it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that pod was amazing. Lance, that Lance was super. The notes he's putting out are fantastic. You know, the the yeah. stuff plus ones. Like, that's one of the things that got us on Boobich, like, early before the the big the big performance on Sunday. Like, yeah. That, that yeah. stuff plus, Yeah. That and Phil's Phil's uh, note from December that Chris Bubich was kind of interesting. That's all it takes is it's interesting. But no, yeah, Lance's notes and that pod was cool. He got me looking at a whole bunch of different things now too on um, differently. Like he talks a lot about that, and 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 in his notes too, he talks a lot about the not only the speed differential and the fastball and the changeup, but the location the break differential. So it's like, there's like a sweet spot, like seven to 10 inches mm. in the difference of the break where like, that's where more whiffs occur. And I was like, wow. And like Jeff Ponds too, was talking about a similar thing. And I was like, Ooh, that was, that was, a, yeah, I enjoyed that one too. Yeah. yeah. It's like just hearing like, again, like, um, anything Lance was even saying, like, I, I'm, you know, not like super into the fantasy world. Like we are, you know, he plays, but um, it's more just like being able to digest that stuff um, and and relay it to a fantasy, like, you know, um, relevancy, because I, I struggle with that, you know, and just like when you can, it's, um, it's, it's good to be able to hear things explained like intuitively rather than so you can watch the game and understand it like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Instead of just like looking at, 
fan graphs or a spreadsheet and seeing like, oh yeah, this makes sense because CSW is good and that is good. But like when you could hear why a pitch works, why the movement on it works, why it helps with other pitchers, pitches mm. is um that's all that is really huge. And um yeah, he he he's definitely helped my um understanding of pitching, you know, tremendously. Those those notes are fire for sure. If anyone's yeah. not following Lance Bozdowski, uh go to Twitter and he's he puts out like five or six notes, like recaps of players, um, all about their pitch mix and their shapes and includes the stuff plus uh and the handedness too. I think that's huge, you know. I think that's a really what I've been diving into a little bit more and more because I think it makes sense. And so many times we'll look at see like, oh, this guy's drawing his sinker like 32% of the time, but it's actually, you know, all versus lefties, you know. Then uh I think those things matter, you know. That's actually what got me interested in in Bieber. We'll see we'll see if um it ends up coming to fruition or not, but it was on that pod he was talking about how for a long time Bieber had struggled against left-handed pitchers, but in the second half of last year, he started throwing, I think it was his knuckle curve to lefties a lot. And while he wasn't generating as much swing and miss, like it was really good at limiting contact that he was giving up. Um, and so it's just like little bits like that where you're like, Oh, so like, you know, you look at a pitcher and you see that there may be a weakness against this handed batter or that handed batter or this type of batter or whatever it is. And like, if you can see that a pitcher is working on ways of developing, like, you know, it is developing ways to either mitigate or limit like the negative impact of that or turn it into something that's actually a strength for theirs. I feel like that's, you know, that's a really good sign. So I feel like that, that type of information, that's another change like off season wise is I feel like that type of information, that type of information you get from little notes or little articles, right? Like, like, yep. I know I was like Googling, like who was getting a new bat this year, you know, like a type of bat or who was going to the performance yeah. batting center, you know, down in uh, Baton Rouge or whatever it is, you know, like trying to figure out those types of more like, you know, um, I don't know. It's like they're anecdotal, but, but they, they highlight like, whereas, you know, with a pitcher with pitch mix or velo bump, there's like a, a definite change that can happen. We don't necessarily think about like the tools that somebody's using or, or things like that. Like, I feel like that type of stuff now is kind of gold. Um, you know, it really is. I a hundred percent agree. I think that goes kind of with that conversation about how like there's, there's so like there's so many different avenues to really get better. It's just a, a player evaluation, but then it's all these little like interesting, like news nuggets, right. You know, like, um, just even things like, you know, so like the Mets hired the um like the the guy who instituted like the pull elevated balls for St. Louis, you know, so it's like hearing that, like, oh, like so it's is Brandon Nimmo gonna try to pull the ball now to like the pull side because like that he could maybe hit 17 homers instead of 12 or and you see Alonzo like who always loved to shoot that like right center gap, he is smoking balls now pull side so and that's a big thing because like that's obviously a quicker path to power um and it's just it's those little things like that that you could pick up on and be like all right like that can be an organizational thing whether or not 
the guys can actually put it through and like also be effective right you know it's like okay like is it is this working <laughs> is it, are we are we not doing a good thing here but like the the Mets like already like you know improved their pull percentage their pull fly ball percentage and it's like who knows maybe that leads to a couple extra homers for a couple of players on their team but little things like that I think you know it's uh you know like I said information everywhere there's so many people reading so many things and you know, whatever you think you can give you like any little bit of an edge, you know, you have to try to gobble it up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cool, man. Awesome. Awesome. Always good talking to you. And uh, thanks for hopping on, buddy. You too. Thanks, Rob. All right. Peace. Bye. Thanks to everyone for tuning in to another episode of the Poor Hitter Podcast. This is Rob D, the Dead Poor Hitter. Please follow Toby on Twitter at BatflipCrazy. And appreciate everyone tuning in, following my podcast and supporting my work. And um, if I don't see you in the Twitter, that's okay. If you could just leave a rating review for me on your pla uh, podcast platform, that would be great. Uh, it goes a long way. And to helping me down this fantasy baseball content road that I am on right now. And um, appreciate everyone doing that. Be well, have a fantastic weekend, and don't be a bag of shit.